Here's my way to go. Really. Okay, it's four o'clock and time for the uh, finance committee meeting. Clerk, will you please call the roll? Yes. When you're through. Um, Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Here. Charland is absent. Trustee Shequin. Present. Trustee DeBreeze. Here. Trustee Lauren. Here. Trustee Thompson. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you so much. I'd also like to welcome Trustee Jensen here, um, and through the budget process, we've asked uh, trustees, as their schedules uh, permit, to uh, join us, and they're certainly welcome to ask questions, um, but of course won't vote on items. So thank you very much, Trustee Jensen, for coming. Um, Clerk, are there any, um, any public comment? No. Perfect. Then next on the list is a consent agenda. Take a motion to approve the minutes of May 10th. I move. Oh, any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? I'll abstain. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, the motion carries. Ms. Katz, good afternoon. Yeah. Welcome. All right, so um, for the April financial report, we're going to go over the April highlights. We'll talk a little bit about cash, about cash on hand. That was a question at the last meeting. Um, and then we'll just um, briefly go over the rolling 12 month forecast. So, um, patient activity in April was kind of mixed. Um, we had inpatient activity was above budget, outpatient activity was below budget. Um, the acute uh, average daily census was up to 291, so it was 5.1% <coughs> above budget. However, discharges um, were continuing to be below budget, so our length of stay increased up to 5.9 days again. Um, this was 10% over for the month, um, and it was about the same as, as last year on a year-to-date basis. The post-acute average daily census was 1.7% over budget. Um, it was at 300 for the month, and it was right on budget for year-to-date. We continue to see uh, emergency visits below budget. The clinic bullet Clinic visits were under budget by 2.6% for the month, and physician RVUs were 83,239 for the month, which compared to a monthly average of 76,716 through March, so they're still um, doing really good. So for the month, net patient services revenue looked extremely low. Um, and that's because we, uh, we needed to adjust our books for the outcome of our Highland Wellness FQHC rate setting audit for fiscal year 12, and it affected 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, through um, sometime <coughs> in the beginning of this fiscal year. So we, had, we were required to book an additional um, adjustment of $22.1 million, which all hit in the current month. Um, which is why our net patient services revenue is really low. At the same time, we adjusted other, you know, current prior year supplemental revenues for some known anticipated adjustments for 22.8. So the idea was to, you know, use that to um, create this reserve. Unfortunately, they hit on different lines in the income statement. So if you really want to look at how revenue is doing, you're going to want to look at the collection percentage in total instead of the net patient services revenue collection percentage. Um, so if you look at um, 
you know, what it would have been for the month without the FQHC adjustment, um, the collection ratio for net patient services revenue would have been 23.2% um, and 20.8% year to date. Um, but we're seeing a much lower percentage there because of that adjustment. So with our improved contracted rates, we're still hoping that we're gonna see a collection ratio of 20.6% expected for the rest of the year. And again, that's without the um, FQHC adjustment. Um, overall, our collection ratio for the month was 32.5% and 31.2% year to date, and that's compared to a 29.9%. So um, it's still looking really, really good. Yeah. Yes, On the, um, the finance side, um, expenses continue to be over budget. However, we're definitely seeing improvements from the work that's being done with the back-to-budget plan. Um, we know we have that structural issue in the labor budget, but combined salaries, wages, and registry together were um, $500,000 under budget for the month, so that's really good. Um, some of the other large dollar variances that we see, um, benefits were over budget, and that was due to some both the increased salaries, but also due to um, expenses for the AHS retirement plan, we had to do kind of a catch up. Um, contracted physician um, services or contracted physician expenses increased due to the OCARE contract for the ER physicians and a performance incentive payment that went out to the hospitalist group. Uh, pharmaceuticals continue to be over budget. That's somewhat consistent with inpatient days being above budget as well. Um, and then finally, the general administration expense um, included increases, increased expenses for the foundation gala, which I think was a great success. Um, and Why are expenses for the foundation gala being run through our income statement? That's part of the, the way we, that... We talked about it in the uh, budget discussion at the full board meeting last, year, or last month, remember when you noticed that? Well, I thought that was for their contract. So we, we gave them more of their right, allotted money because of expenses for the gala. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, that was, we gave them, well, it was related to the contract, but that contract was what drove the increase in the general and administrative line of the income statement for next year because their expenses actually hit our, when we pay them out, yeah. for their expenses from the contract, they hit that line of the expenses. But they were living within their means and their contract. Oh, yeah, they're, they're within okay, that's fine. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. It yeah. just hit, they were behind budget because the gala expenses hadn't come through yet. Okay. And when they came through, they hit this month. So there's an increase. Okay. It just sounded kind of funny that, you know, our expenses because the staff found it anyway. I totally understand it, but it sounds funny. Thank you so much. Right. Sure. Can we only get, uh, get those expenses as they hit? So. Yes. So overall, the April results were great. Um, the operating margin exceeded budget again. Uh, we had a positive overall net income of 5.2 million for the month and a 10% EBITDA for the month, which you can see that all the time. Me too. Um, year to date, the EBITDA margin is 4%. That was up from 3.1% um, year to date in March. So the contribution variant summary, I actually really dislike this report, but I'm going to talk about it. Um, we, uh, the provider delivery and professional roll-ups and um, ambulatory seem to be standouts um, compared to budget for both month and year to date. Um, ambulatory shows poor performance here um, because of the 22.1 uh, million dollar 
adjustment for the FQHC pilot audit because it's going to show up in that budget unit. Um, and then I just wanted to note that on uh, Alameda, while their gross patient services were actually up for the month, um, there was a large increase in deductions from revenue that caused them to be under budget. Um, and so we're going to be doing a deeper dive into Alameda um, Hospital's finances later in the year, and we'll find out what's going on there. Can you comment um, on why you don't like the report? I'm going to. Good. So <laughs> the reason I don't like this report is that it's really, it's not as accurate as you would like it to be. Um, the, the issue is that there's allocations that happen, and they're not necessarily true to what um, <coughs> services are actually happening at the time. So for example, the allocation of the supplemental revenues, it, some of it is somewhat arbitrary. Some of it is based on a a set percentage that doesn't really necessarily coincide with what's actually going on um, for the periods. And for example, um, prime, the dollars for prime are all allocated to ambulatory, where we know that prime is not just an ambulatory um, program. Um, another thing is that the, the contracted physician costs are allocated based on what's in the budget. To, to where they're, they're at. And we know that there's adjustments. It's not it's not tied to actual. So there's some issues associated with that. Um, the set support services is not allocated, and it's <coughs> offset. The costs are offset by all of the major A funds. So it's just the oh. <laughs> uh, support services gets major A funding, and then that's the balance. But it's not allocated across to where the services are provided. And then if you think about it, like Highland, for example, the, uh, the revenues that they get, a lot of those revenues have built-in revenue for support services, right? But the costs are not there. So it's just there's a, there's a bunch of things that make it somewhat. I didn't understand that, Sid. Would you say that again? The, about support services? No, the revenue. The Highland revenue? Yeah. Right. So the way, the rate, for example, let's talk about Medi-Cal inpatient, okay, fee-for-service. It's calculated based on cost. It's fully loaded cost that includes the cost of the support services. So if we're getting cost reimbursed, for example, for the MCE population where we do get 100% cost reimbursement, that cost includes support, support services. services. So it's it's just a somewhat arbitrary. And um, so uh, Luis, when he talks about the uh, strategic business units, we're going to focus more on here's their budgeted you know, units of service, their revenues, or not their revenues, but their uh, volumes. This is what they're supposed to achieve. Here's their budget, and this is what they're supposed to achieve. So they'll, we'll look at those variances, but the revenues themselves are just kind of a strange allocation. Is it better to have a consolidated report of what um, Luis is presenting and use that as an SBU report rather than this one? Well, the consolidated report is our consolidated income statement. I meant consolidated in SBUs, not and on one sheet, not consolidated in terms of the system. I'm sorry. Oh. Um, what would you propose to be a better document for us to look at? Well, Luis is going to present, you know, by strategic business unit how their volumes and, and expenses are. It's just without the revenue calculations, and we're actually going to be looking at coming up with some better contribution margin okay. calculations. It's, so we have this. It's just I don't like it because. Mm -hmm. It's not accurate. 
Can I can I add to if you don't mind asking trustee so uh good good evening first off uh, but also uh through our conversations uh with uh, um, Nancy leading the finance team and review of a lot of these uh, different tools we use um, it just became clear to us that one of the sort of uh, overarching goals of a report like this and uh, uh, we do a similar one uh, for the board of supervisors was to give uh, all of you a sense of how the business units were performing as sort of individual entities as well as the sites. And the more we were receiving questions about, well, you know, Alameda seems to be doing well, now it's not doing so well, or it's doing less well, what's the problem with that? Uh, we started to delve into that and we realized that these reports are not the best reflection of how an individual site is doing because of those issues with allocation on the revenue side in particular. So while we know that you know, something like this would be useful and helpful for you to have as individual uh, sort of business uh, uh, entities, uh, the way in which the supplemental funding in particular is uh, provided to the organization, it's, it's really tough and uh, cumbersome to actually then align all of that revenue uh, to actual individual sites and units of service. So we just, we're a little bit apprehensive about continuing that sort of uh, trajectory or that logic to base it off of how well any one site is doing or not doing. Because on the sort of similar report that we have for the county, it even breaks down the clinics by site. And uh, that's just not the way in which we track all of this and, and get reimbursement. So, so what we're, we're probably going to do, we're going to look at kind of how difficult and intensive, uh, uh, resource intensive will be to actually try to create something like that because we understand the need to have something like that. Or we'll just say that on a consolidated basis, the overall income statement is the best view of that for the, the, the uh, universe of the organization. And then at the individual unit level, it's better to look at trends of volumes and trends of uh, expenses and try to uh, just get a good sense of how the business is being run from that vantage point and to try to then tie that to both net patient revenue and supplemental revenue. We may be able to do something on that patient, which is a little bit more straightforward, but it also won't be a total reflection of the revenue for uh, individual sites. So we'll continue to look at it and then we'll uh, bring back a recommendation. So given this change, how do you reconcile the perceptions of what was before you were doing yes. this and the new the new one. So we operated on the assumption that business unit A, B, and C were doing really well, and D, E, and F were in trouble. Now when you switch that, you don't, that could be reversed, or it could stay the same, but how? How, how we sort of shift the, the, the lens through which you would do that? Yes, and what, how do you make that comparison to, you know, to the public or to the board? Yeah. How do you make that comparison to say, Here's what we thought was happening. Mm -hmm. Now that we've changed and become more accurate in our accounting, which I can understand happens, yeah. this is now and compare those two mm -hmm. as opposed to just showing showing the, the current existing. Exactly. So so it'll be tough. I think it's a great question <coughs> when we, we're, we're talking about. It'll be tough to do it on a historical basis, except that we can when we look at a different lens of kind of the ex, uh, experience of volume and its, uh, its expenses, we can trace that and show, you know, you can see how something is happening relative to what you expect it to happen. Uh, again, similarly, I think we can do the same thing for net patient service revenues to kind of make sure you get a sense of revenue cycle working well from that sort of 
pure uh, vantage point. It'll just be a matter of just having a rolled up number here that says, you know, variance from budget and whether an organization or a particular site, I should say, is performing well or in trouble uh, uh, as, a, as a sort of neat, concise number like this is, is tougher to do. You'll have to look at at least two different points. Uh, 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 okay. So it, it's tougher to do large. Like I, I suppose I'm also thinking if I were the director, the manager, the supervisor of a particular business unit, mm -hmm. and I have been celebrating these great things that I thought I was doing, mm -hmm. and now I get information that I'm not doing so well. So it's not necessarily the case that you'll you'll get that, but it will be a different lens because it also it is a great point. What we one of the goals for doing this too was to make sure that people understood uh, the things that were controllable. For so so we're talking about from the external perspective. On the internal perspective, you look at what is it that you actually have control of, and then how can you make sure that your activities are influencing that in a positive direction. So expense and volume, volume a little bit tougher because some of that is not elective, right. uh, but where it's elective and throughput and things like that that you can do to advance that. That is something where you as a manager actually want to look at something that's a little bit more in your control. Looking at supplemental revenues, you can't Oh, no, I, I think the move is great. I right. That wasn't really my question. I understand the move. I think it's a great, great thing for us to do. Okay. I'm just trying to, to understand the comparisons between. So basically, you're, you're, if you can't compare where it was before, at least this is my understanding, mm -hmm. you can't compare where it was before. As a manager, as a board, we're starting at a clean slate, trying to understand a new a new dynamic yeah. without understanding what happened previously. Or so internally, they will, uh, because again, those same things we have the ability to train and remember, uh, as you'll hear, uh, we're doing more of the benchmarking that we're doing uh, uh, with Vizient and our, our work there, actually is still continuing based off of the same underlying information that feeds into this. It just doesn't take into consideration that next wrong that tries to give you a tries to give you, this is more external than internal, uh, some sense of, you know, this one area is doing really well versus not because it's somewhat art artificial. Uh, so. so there could be areas where some people look at it, you know, they, they knew that there were some underlying issues, but they see this report and go, oh, but I'm doing really well, right? Uh, they there be some, some areas where people thought that and then they see that that's not the case and maybe some areas where people thought, oh, I'm not doing so well and it turns out you actually are, it's just a matter of how things are allocated. So so we don't internally use this particular report as much. This is really more of a governance uh, uh, view uh, uh, and an attempt to do that. And what we're just appreciating is it may be giving you the wrong impressions because it's it's overly simplistic to give you the sense of, oh, you know, one red, red bad, green good, and it's not necessarily. Right. And we have been using this asset that's exactly as right. a way to say why isn't so and so doing exactly that. Right. This is why we, we, we looked at this more and Definitely. why Nancy said, yeah, I got some real problems with what the message this is sending out. Yeah. So, so I guess if I guess if I get a new green, I'm going to be happy. If I get a new red, I'm going to be. Happy. <laughs> well, before this changes, we'll, we're going to come back to you and explain what you know what the sort of underlying uh, fundamentals to how it might look different and why, <coughs> and then yeah, from there. But internally, I imagine people, uh, my guess would be that people already know because we do the operating report, uh, <coughs> and that focuses on expenses uh, and volume, where things are going, uh, against the desired direction and what we're doing about it. So. So I don't expect internally there'll be a lot of turmoil, just the people who saw well, this. And I'm sorry, Mr. Chair, one more question. No and does any of this modification of presentation and analysis of what the budget looks like 
it, obviously you're going to discover things as you as you delve into this deeper. How does it affect the bottom line? So it doesn't. So everything is, uh, this is all fully loaded. Right. Everything's in there. It's just a matter of how it's allocated. It's a recategorization. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. It should be, but a good question. Yeah. Great yes. question. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so here um, you can see some of the balance sheet uh, key metrics and the <coughs> shows that accounts receivables moving down, the AP days are down, so those are both um, moving in the right direction. Um, and then we're compliant with our um, line of credit agreement with the county. Um, I think the cash balance on here is showing the gross line of credit to the gross cash, so it was about 140 something around there um, at the end of April. And we have actually received all those supplemental revenues that we were hoping to get in June, so we actually got those. So we know that we're we're going to be um, in a good spot. So at the last meetings, we were asked why we only had 3.1 days of cash on hand, um, which is generally not enough for an ongoing operation. Um, if you think about it, if you only had 3.1 days of cash in your own bank account, it would be somewhat concerning unless you were like a high school student or something and you <laughs> ask dad to, to exactly. put money in the, in the bank account. Or go to a payday lender. Um, so, you know, I just, I just did a quick internet search um, for days cash on hand for hospitals and came up with uh, the following. Um, in 2014, median ratios for nonprofit hospitals and healthcare systems had a medium of two, 203.4 days. Wow. Um, and then this merit research services median information for all hospitals showed 24, uh, 2017 median of 187.2 days for hospitals. Um, and then I went to the, the OSHPOD <coughs> data. So for 2016, um, so the calculation for days cash on hand essentially takes your cash balance and divides it by your operating expense without depreciation per day, okay? So here I took, this is for California hospitals. I took the, the overall cash and the overall um, expense per day and it came out as an average of uh, 41.38 days. So you think about that and you think, why does AHS only have 3.8 days in cash at the end of April. So per our agreement with the county, all of our deposit activity is swept every day um, and applied against our line of credit um, at, the cap, at, the, at the county or applied against our net negative balance. So we have no savings or investment accounts that are held in AHS's name only. And on a weekly basis, what we do is we look at how much we're gonna need in payroll, <coughs> how much we're gonna need in accounts payable, add a little bit of cushion, and we ask for that money um, from the county to be put into uh, the checking account. So essentially, that's how much we have in cash at any one point in time. Um, but we have the ability to get up to our net negative balance in cash. So it really is like that teenager analogy. <laughs> right. we're, the, we're the teenager, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then in addition to what we asked for, the county also pre-funds any IGTs that we need to make to the state. Um, and then we, as soon as we get the money back, we can pay them back. So, but that's why. I have a question. Please. Um, and Nancy, when you looked at other hospitals, obviously they are in counties. So um, 
is there uh, is there a um, is there something that we should be doing in talking with the county that doesn't hurt them but also changes this dynamic so it is more in keeping with other hospitals like ourselves well I mean I think you know it's that it, it's the notion of the you know the parent versus the child thing and um, when you don't have as a hospital system when you don't have that flexibility with cash or to, or our own ability to to deal with our funds I think then there are complications that as we have seen through the years those kinds of is there a structure that you might recommend that we can go to the county and say this is, would be more advantageous for the hospital uh, and not necessarily hurt the county. Uh, obviously, they're getting they're getting the interest on the dollars that they're that they're holding. I mean, I, I can see that very clearly. But are there other means that that this could be? I haven't really. I mean, I haven't really looked at what if there was any other option for us at this point. I mean, we would have to be able to have have a cash reserve that we would have to build up. I mean we're always gonna we're gonna have that net negative balance. I don't know that until that net negative balance is paid down that it could really make any difference. I mean at this point um, how do you even compare it to other public county hospitals if they're part of the county system, the general fund, I mean I imagine they have their own budget each year just like any county department would. How do you even do that comparison to other public hospitals? Well, I did. I I looked at um, so the the numbers that were there were for all California hospitals. So that's oh, just not, average, not, not just public. Not just public. Oh, okay. But when I did try and look at the public hospitals, it's like all over the board. No. I mean, and you know, uh, for example, when I looked at Ventura, they're at five days. Okay. When I looked at another one, and I don't know if it was San Francisco or. Santa Clara, one of them, and it was like at 90-something days. But the thing is that the a lot of the county hospitals don't have their own balance sheet, you know, they because they're they're just an apartment within the county. So I don't even know what cash balance is being reported in Oshkosh. Okay, so for that, it's really hard to to tell. So I when I just did, I pulled you know overall all hospitals because when I started looking at individual ones, it's like oh this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, if I can just chime in too. So, so to your uh, question, Trustee Lawrence, uh, we, we just, uh, Nancy's uh, point here was to provide some additional context to the uh, board, uh, uh, but we're doing it under the guise that we didn't really have a recommendation in terms of whether this was was uh, something that warranted any action at this point. I don't think we. we no, it was strictly we, from our point right, of view to ask you yeah. because I remember in Arizona the woman the financial genius said, now if your bank, excuse me, if your hospital has uh, un under 160 days in cash, you're in trouble. I said, yeah. well, we got 1.6 yeah, yeah, exactly. And right. I know what we're doing, we're sweeping it into the county in their Japanese bank account, but um, you know that's my theme. That but, was like uh, <laughs> Union Bank being part of Mitsubishi. Um, but uh, it's, it's not like we have cash to have on hand when we've got a million dollars on our line, a hundred million dollars on our line. And, and, and that's the premise of having 197 days cash on hand, for particularly for your average, you know, uh, um, 
for your, your regular uh, not-for-profit hospital, it's based off of a, a totally different set of conditions with respect to yeah. their ability yeah. to I just think since we, like we never it's discussed it, it correct. was worth bringing it up so exactly. that we just kind of know that this is how our cash flow works. Yeah, we totally agree. Uh, so we thought it was you know, useful to, to share that context so that the next time we're in a setting and you go, well, why is ours so low, you, you understand that, but, but not necessarily to do anything. Right now, obviously, in terms of our ability to pay our bills and our ability to meet our obligations, it's working. Uh, uh, and, and as long as we have the debt, we don't. We Listen, don't I would love for the assets to be in Alameda Health System and liabilities to be in Alameda County. But I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that the county is going to agree to that. So. Just say that as a board member and a taxpayer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, thank you very much. Any questions on cash flow and how it works? Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay, and then just quickly, I just wanted to mention on the um, the twelve month rolling forecast. Sorry, these are little. I tried to make it smaller. Um, uh, in doing that, so basically, we projected to the end of the year, and this is the same number that you will see in the budget presentation. This is what we're projecting. It's somewhat. It's a little not quite as rosy as was projected um, previously. Um, right now, we're looking at the uh, EBITDA of about 3.5% by the end of the year. Um, obviously, it's better than what we have been doing, but we were working towards getting at the um, 4.1. And that includes some of the um, account payable issues that brought that down, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, okay. Just want to make sure it's included. In and we're so. hoping that it will turn out better, but... Um, and that's the money you're holding in the reserve issue as well, right? Yes. I mean, this is basically with everything that we've had to book and clean up and get things in, in, in order um, for your end. Um, so, let's see if there's anything that I wanted to add. So, um, I think that's what I was going to say there. And then the 12 we've added, obviously we've taken off um, a month on the front and we've uh, put to the end of the year or to the end of March of 2019. Um, this is still a work in progress. Um, these are based on the budget numbers, but again, until we have the the uh, seasonality budget trending that we're working on getting in place, once we have that, then this is going to um, be adjusted to go along with that. So right now, um, some of the stuff is just trended, you know, so much per month based on days of the month, you know, taking into account um, when holidays are and where overtime would be and spreading. Um, uh, salaries that certain way, which is one of the reasons why you'll see that the EBITDA changes um, by month right. because sometimes some things are flat, some things are by <coughs> month, some things have you know additional things. But once we have um, the budget spread um, with the seasonality, then we'll be able to do some better calculations for this. You know, ma'am. Yes. Uh -huh. We we had talked about a forecast, not the last meeting, but the one before that. And I still maintain that a board needs to see the assumptions that a forecast is based on. And so you, you reiterated some of those things just now. And it's based on that kind of stuff. But when you can see it in writing and there is some kind of paragraph that states, yeah, it's that. Can you bring but back the that. forecast at another meeting with the assumptions attached? Sure. And what you have there, those assumptions, in my view, are still not, they're not robust enough for a, a board to understand how a budget is based. So 
I don't know whether or not the the salaries that you are giving employees are based on a CPI. I don't know whether or not um, your your uh, operating expenses are based on the increase in electrical or what whatever those kinds of things are. The, and I'm, those are small things, but the bigger notion. Uh, I don't know how a budget without really understanding the assumptions that go into it, we can make good decisions. Um, because I would think it's not the numbers that a board needs, unless you're Anthony, but they're not the numbers that a board needs to look at, but whether or not the staff has thought through the assumptions on which you build that budget, and those assumptions can either be challenged or agreed to. And that, for me, is, do you understand? But the forecast should, at least for the 12 month of the upcoming fiscal year, should mirror the entire budget that we've just, where it becomes fuzzier is when we go outside of a fiscal year, that's when finance is making really pie in the sky assumptions based on um, the assumptions we have for the fiscal year that's been approved. But the, 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 we're going into a new fiscal year on July 1. The rolling forecast in June should have exactly, should mirror the budget that, that we've just approved. Right. That, then maybe it's a, it's a semantic issue because the for forecast for me has to be more than those assumptions that are listed there. That, that there has to be more substance to what you as the CFO, the person who's putting this together, what went behind the decisions that are created in this budget? And other than the numbers, I don't know what those things are. And and I have to believe I'm right. I mean, this isn't something that I've invented out of whole cloth for Michelle. I, I do believe that there are public organizations who set up forecasts. Mm -hmm. I've seen them. Mm -hmm. We have seen them. That spell out what the finance people have decided that this budget is going to be built on. The number of FTEs that are that are going to be hired in the new year. The, the, the salary that's going to be there. And there was some attempt earlier to try to get to that, but it was not, in my view, uh, what I would call a robust assumption. So, Forecast. So I would, I would echo uh, Trustee Thompson's uh, comments in the sense that uh, right now, so there were two slices of this. Uh, Nancy forecasted for the, for the remainder of the year, which is a budget for two months, and you know, what were the big drivers for what would shift our revenue uh, and our expenses up and down there. Uh, not not the level of granularity that I think you're referring to, which is, I guess, you know, it, it's a question for the board about how, how deep and how granular should we be about certain uh, things. But to get to the point, not, that was on that part for the main two months, and we get to the budget piece, uh, we're now going today into a uh, uh, asking for action on the budget. What we've done over the last month is uh, talk through all the elements on the revenue side and the expense side, going behind just numbers uh, to what's driving those numbers for changes, expected changes in volume across different business units, expected changes in expenses across the entirety of the organization in all the different budgets. Uh, for what's going to happen with pharmaceuticals, what's going to happen with labor, what's going to happen with the number of FTEs, and part of the, 
the information you have there uh, spells that out. Uh, we weren't intended, I just sort of telegraphed when we get to the budget part now, to go through that in that level of detail again, uh, since we've done it now uh, uh, twice. I, I, but I'm not asking you to do that. Okay. And, uh, and this budget is going to be approved, I, I see it. I still believe that an organization, when we asked for a forecast, was a very poor forecast. Not the numbers, because when you say, and everything you just you just repeated, we said we're going to you know have fewer this, or we're going to change this. What caused you to make that decision? And that's what I'm asking. What what was behind the number that you said this is what's going to be there? What and that's in terms of these things that are here. I see that as granular. The higher level is what your thought process were that made you say, these are the assumptions that we think are gonna happen. We think that the healthcare system is gonna change dramatically and people are gonna be more assured, so our emergency room is not gonna be as, it's gonna continue to, to go down. Mm -hmm. um, and you may not have to get that small, but. No, I think, I, I'm just saying, I, I think it's a mix, but I feel like we, I feel like we've done it, but it sounds like we haven't. Well, I don't know. I'm comfortable with the, the, with the forecast, uh, and obviously, hopefully, the accuracy will get better with time as we get tuned into it. How do the other trustees feel? Are we comfortable with this as is, or do we need to continue to kick the cat before we ask finance to do? Uh... Uh, I'm not asking you to change anything. I, I suppose I was leaving information that I think is important for people. That can but I'm saying if 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 the four of us here agree that they need to bring something back um, more in depth, then we need to direct um, you know, Ms. Katz to do that. If not, she can take your comments as, as information and continue to improve the process and we move forward, which I'm comfortable with. Are you? Are you happy to take yeah, it? Yeah. Okay, okay. let's move forward. Mr. Fonseca, are you through? Do I'm forgive done. me. Thank you. Smart man, he's leaving the room. <laughs> okay, so on the COO report, and you all have it in your packet, uh, as discussed a few minutes ago uh, by Nancy. We've taken a, a, a slightly different approach in the report, really just focusing on those drivers that we are managing and that we're uh, using to help uh, ensure that we're leveraging the appropriate number of resources to support those specific volumes. And so our volumes and expenses is the key area that we'll be looking at by all the different uh, SBUs. But in this particular case, uh, population health and provider delivery don't really necessarily have volume to test them, so we only have one slide which is specific to the expense and how we're managing those expenses. In population health, uh, this SBU is largely driven by our care management, utilization management division, and so that's where you have the bulk of the expenses. Uh, we see that their, their salaries are slightly above budget, and that's a result of a lot of activity that's happening in that division as they're revamping and restructuring you know, the coverage and how they're managing those those efforts. Um, we equally have some interim positions that are, you know, right now uh, in place, management positions that are in place as we're actively recruiting for those working through that process. Equally, as part of the budget, you know, process for 2018 or FY18, uh, there were some changes that occurred in, you know, in the middle of the year that uh, weren't necessarily captured in that budget, and so we're, we're seeing that. But even with that, 
again, they're really essentially 1.2% of our budget where they're managing their resources effectively. Uh, the biggest expense line we're seeing is outside medical services, and that really has to do with you know, those, those uh, resources that we're leveraging for our throughput initiatives and how we're trying to find the proper disposition for patients and placing patients outside of the acute care setting. And so we're seeing a little bit of an increase in that, but again, being managed by the team uh, overall. In provider delivery, uh, again, Keep reminding us on population health, excuse me for interrupting, yeah. because I think it's going to be easy. We get inundated and we all have outside jobs to look at and say, oh, we're not making any headway when we are in a lot of ways. It's just not necessarily reflected here. So anyway, just keep, I know you just keep repeating that. I will. <laughs> Thank I you. Will. Thank you. Uh, in provider delivery, uh, this is an area where uh, we've been really building on this. We've, we've been, over this past year, we've been establishing first for lack of a better word, our baseline for future years. And so we're, this is where we started tracking, if you recall, uh, worked RVUs and you know physician productivity. And so we're managing our expenses uh, within that. Uh, this area continues to perform well uh, and you know certainly has had a very positive impact on the, on the pro fee and physician revenue side as well. So, um, but really nothing, nothing major here. I mean, salaries and wages are you know, significantly below budget. Uh, contractor physician services are slightly above, and again, that's how as we're transitioning. And as uh, Nancy mentioned, some of this has to do with uh, some uh, payments that were made, one-time payments that were made as a result of uh, some poorly incentive and negotiated, you know, rates that were provided for hospitals. Um, ambulatory. So now we get into our true performance here from from an ambulatory care perspective, looking at our volumes, as we see here. Um, their overall performance was pretty much right on budget at a total basis of 27,682 on a budget of 27,790. So again, very, very little there. there. They've done some great work. Uh, over the last several months, I, I, I believe we would all agree that uh, you know the, the fruits of our labor have started to materialize and, and I certainly commend uh, Palav and Catherine and you know, Dr. Damani for his leadership and, and all of our chairs, uh, uh, medical chairs, doctors that uh, have really supported the program. And so we're moving forward with that. Um, of note, uh, we continue to uh, work towards uh, achieving our target for, for primary care. Uh, but, uh, and we're gonna certainly be very close uh, to meeting our budget target and specialty care. Uh, unfortunately, we, we know that we're, it's gonna be difficult to close that gap. But again, the work continues and the staff, you know, with our standardized templates, with some of our protocols and procedures, uh, we're starting to see some of those come to fruition. And then uh, the implementation of Rubicon is going to be something that I know we're certainly looking forward to and that's going to help really support the access and how we're providing those services. Yes, sir. So under primary care, are we going to have an Alameda line now? Uh, eventually, actually. I think, I think we have it in the... Uh, right now. now. But we didn't, we didn't uh, budget a target for the year, so... Correct. I mean, we're, we're capturing that under some, some of our total clinic visits, other clinic okay. visits. Yeah. But for this particular fiscal year budget, remember we opened it April 1st, and so we didn't have anything built yeah. in. But we will move forward. Yes, sir. <laughs> so now the financials, how that then, how, did, how well did we manage our expenses based on the volumes that we're seeing? And so that's really the intent and what I'm trying to communicate. And that's what we're really focusing on, making sure that we're doing our part in managing expenses relative to volumes. And then the revenues obviously will, uh, you know, will follow with that. Um, salaries and wages, uh, well below budget. Uh, they again have been making some some significant changes in, in the care model and how they're managing their operation. And uh, so again, really, they, they've just done 
phenomenal work in that area, even though we're transitioning into our patient-centered medical home model, which is really looking at skill set is what it is. It's not necessarily that we're, we have more people, it's that we have the right skill set within those individuals to provide the right level of care. Uh, FBEs, uh, again, consistent with our salaries, below target, 477 out of 507 budget. And the key indicators for us, I mean, the FDEs for clinic is at 1.72 versus 1.82 budget. So again, good performance, strong performance, great work in that uh, SBU. Acute care, uh, again, this is, uh, as, as Nancy mentioned, I mean, these are the volume drivers, some of the key indicators. Um, you know, won't repeat some of that. Our discharges are down. That is a result of uh, an increased length of stay. And so we are seeing higher acuity, we are seeing sicker patients and we're starting to see them stay a little longer in the hospital. Some of that also is impacted by uh, disposition of patients and you know, like, you know, the, the, our ability to move placement. Uh, placement of patients. And so that's been challenging. We do have, I mean, you know, in some cases we do have a, a small number of patients that can really have a significant impact on the overall calculation of our length of stay just because of difficulties in placement. Uh, but of note, uh, and we've seen this throughout the year, and it continues to be a focus area, is our ED volumes uh, are continuing to trend downward, and that's something that we've seen uh, at every single month. And um, again, that's that's something that we'll continue to keep a close eye on. But we're managing that. One, one, may I ask? Please. One of the things that I did at the last full board meeting or finance committee meeting where you had shown the ED volume across the county being down. Well, one thing that we had noticed was that San Leandro Kaiser was high. And I remember at some time there was an EMS kind of a program where we were trying to make sure that the ED visits were being diverted correctly. And I wonder if that still is, is that something that needs to be revamped or kind of done? Where because the SLH ED visits are done, but on the other hand, because so much of the ED ends up being um, discharged into the hospital because of the construction, are we wanting to keep that done? No, no, I don't think the, well, our ED volume and, and those ED visits really are not directly tied to the construction project, what we're doing. I mean, we've seen that over the last year at San Leandro, where we're going going down, and the trends just continue to be the same. The only area that's showing increases in ED volumes is Kaiser San Leandro. Mm -hmm. and, and there's many variables to that. There's many components that can be driving that. I mean, you know, our, our, you know, that could be driven by the fact that many employers are offering Kaiser as one of their employee benefit plans, and so therefore that's where they're going to receive their services. Um, so, I mean, again, there's other variables that can be associated with that. But we have, and what I can tell you to, to your point is, I know that uh, I have met with uh, uh, our county EMS as well as our paramedics clubs that provide services, and they're just down the street from San Leandro Hospital. And so I've had conversations with them here very recently to talk about, you know, what is their process and what is their catchment area and how are they really uh, looking at the, and bringing patients, you know, and I was specifically looking at it because Although we have seen a slightly lower number of transports, we are seeing an increased number of 5150 transports. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all like, okay, wait a minute. So let's, let's talk about this, make sure that we understand. And so, you know, and, and I'm talking about 5150 transports that, for example, was was a patient that was picked up in, in North Oakland and is taken to San Leandro. Uh, and it just so happens that they're their terminal at the end of their shift is two blocks away from San Leandro. So it's just easy to kind of drop off and go to there. Uh, so I, we're looking at it, we're working with them, and uh, 
So we're just trying to, trying to make sure that uh, we're all on the same page and that we're supporting each other and we're leveraging the resources across the county. It, 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 but it's not a bad thing that our ED volumes are down. It's, I mean, it seems to me that... Except you make money in the ED. Well, I, I understand that, but isn't that what we would want as a society? Yes. yes. That, that's true. But so if they, if so then you modify your budget knowing that those things are going to be down and you collect in another area. But if we're, if we're thinking we're going to keep our, our revenues in emergency at the same, it seems to me that we're not, we're behaving more business-like than we are, we are uh, humanitarian. So uh, you'll be happy to know that we are forecasting a decrease in immediate visits in next year's budget. Uh, uh, that is consistent with the trend that we're seeing, not just for us, but across the rest of the market. And, and I would agree with you from a, a, a global health perspective that uh, if the indicators of lower EV utilization are tied to a healthier population or a population that's more health literate and are using primary care or urgent care uh, more appropriately, then that's exactly what we want to see. Uh, I think it's a bit of a, a, a leading indicator, so we need to uh, 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 kind of look on a macro level and see if some of those uh, indicators of, of the health of the community uh, and, and the utilization of those other sites would be indicative of kind of a correlation between the two. I don't think we know that yet, mm -hmm. uh, but, but we are at least planning for the trend to, we're looking at the trend and saying that we don't see a reason why that one to uh, not continue other than some like in Alameda and San Leandro, we, we attribute some of the, just a portion of the uh, recent months to our evolution in our EV providers and kind of just dealing with the, um, the uh, transitional element there. Um, uh, so, so not uh, reflecting all of that, but, but that trend was happening before that. And we, just, we saw a bit more and we were probably expecting to continue to see. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, we don't need unnecessarily EV visits. But if there are necessary EV visits, often, and that's going to the other hospital in the city. Oh, no, I can, um, I, I, and I, that those guys, and our county EMS is taking them to, a, yeah. to the, the, you have to bring them to the county. No, so I was looking at the census, and also because some of them will then uh, come from the um, EV to the acute yeah, med yeah. search unit. So we need to, uh, we'll always have sick people that we have to but keep the healthy ones out as much as possible. Yeah, no, yeah. I really Okay, any other questions? Okay, please. Thank you. Um, just an observation that the lowest variances in um, ED is at Alameda Hospital, which is somewhat of a closed system where the Alameda paramedics take all patients to Alameda Hospital. So that budget numbers seem to be appropriate and also that's the site where we have the um, community paramedics which may hopefully be restraining the utilization but I, I do applaud the, the budgeted um, numbers there. It seems that we're really close at Alameda Hospital and the ED both um, and, and in a lot of other areas. So. So, uh, so again, as far as the volume, thank you for all those more great points. I uh, just want to highlight that, uh, you know, because it, it drives to the next slide with the with the expenses. But uh, you know, highlighting the fact that we have a, an average daily census of 223 versus 209, which is again speaks to significantly higher utilization in the in, in the in the acute care setting, uh, which results in a higher number of patient days. 
So therefore, as a result, when you look at our salaries, our salaries are slightly above budget. But when you look at that, our ratios, key ratios of FDEs per occupied bed of 5.59 versus a budget of 5.82, again, this speaks to the fact that operations are being managed effectively. Our team is really looking at the resources. What does that resource mean to ensure that we are managing our productivity and that we're looking at staffing up to volume? So again, great indicators, great work in those areas, and we're managing, uh, again, they're continuing to manage expenses uh, well across the board. Behavioral health, uh, this is an area where I, I truly have to continue to commend uh, Karen Tribble. Dr. Tribble has done phenomenal work out there. I mean, with, with when all the, all the cards were stacked against her uh, for a better part of the year, uh, just due to many different regulatory challenges, ligature risks, you know, and one-to-one -one ratios and all that, they have done a phenomenal job in really trying to, to keep the, the flow, continue to provide, you know, exceptional care out there. Uh, so although we continue to see a decrease in our PES visits, which again is another, I think it goes to Trustee Lawrence's point, I mean it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean that just means that a lot of the efforts that are happening in the county with other resources are working. So we're, we're working through all that. But again, they've done some phenomenal work out there in our clinic visits that we're seeing that we've been uh, low and we, you know, throughout the year we've been unable to sustain that. Again, some of that is driven by the PES visits that were direct referrals to those intensive outpatient programs. But also we're leveraging now you know, our beacon contract and how we're, again, leveraging other resources from the county and that's what's impacting those services. But again, phenomenal work in that area. And you'll, you'll see that also translated into the expenses. I mean, they're pretty much uh, overall top total operating expenses are right on target, right on budget, even with the fact that they've had some additional needs and they've been managing uh, with uh, you know, more staff than they've needed just because of some of those other requirements. But even with that, key statistics, 3.18 for their FDs for just about by bed versus 3.41. So again, productivity is being managed. They're on top of the game. They're doing great work. So kudos to all of them. Post-acute, um, patient days are slightly above budget. Discharges slightly below. Average daily census right at 300. They're above budget. The average length of stay slightly up from budget. So um, again, this is largely driven by the acute rehab facility, as I had mentioned. All. That's what drives here some of these lengths of stay because, again, our skill nursing facilities many times for the most part are always full. Yeah. I am pleased to say that over the past, uh, I want to say that over the last two weeks of, of uh, April and uh, actually from, from the last two weeks of May through today, we have seen some significant improvements in our acute rehab. There's been a, a focused effort on really identifying patients at all the different settings that are qualified for acute rehab and would benefit from, from acute rehab. And so when we were looking at a, a average census of about 17, 18, we've been running at 22 to 25. So it's been phenomenal. So I think it's great for our patients and it's great for the work that's happening in those areas. So we should hopefully see that here in the next several months. Expenses, uh, tracking with that, uh, again, they do a great job out there at, uh, at our post-acute or school nursing facilities and, and the acute rehab where they're uh, flexing to, to volumes. Their overall expenses are pretty much right on target and their performance indicators, uh, specifically looking at their FDs and the resources are right on target, uh, certainly below. System support services, that's uh, again the aggregate of all of our, our support areas. Uh, this is where we're seeing some, uh, we saw some, some, for the first time, salaries and wages were slightly above budget. This has to do with 
uh, some some uh, payoffs that were done uh, as a result of some transitions and changes in, in, in staffing. Uh, we've also uh, made some adjustments here to our defined contribution portion for the uh, retirement plan. So this is captured in support <coughs> services. Uh, but overall, uh, they're certainly managing uh, the expenses uh, in this area, certainly within target. Overall, uh, as, as, as Nancy mentioned, I, I'm, I mean, I'm very pleased to see that over the last several months, we've seen our expenses trend in the right direction. We're, we're controlling expenses, managing expenses, and as Delbecca said, that's what we have within our control. Uh, revenues, well, that's where I look to Nancy and, and, and her team to, to make sure that we're able to capture that appropriately. That's all I have. Unless you have any, any, questions. any questions? Thank you. Thank you. Much better. Spring has sprung. Let's keep it that way. It's a new day in finance. <laughs> and then I, I have a couple more reports there that, that are uh, within the CO report. I just wanted to, if you have any questions, yes, just please. the back to budget. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, in the back to budget plan, uh, again, the, the, these slides, uh, I, I would qualify here that in, in the slides that were specific to revenue, there's been some changes here. Uh, uh, obviously, these were put together prior to Nancy coming on board. And so uh, as she's been diving in and working with her team, there's been some adjustments and changes. And so for the purposes of, of not changing anything that I've shared with you all in the past, I've kept everything you know the same. But those areas where we have identified and we've captured those uh, anticipated savings, we've reflected those, and so as you can see, we have quite a few areas that we have zero remaining to be achieved because we've achieved or exceeded some of those targets in many of those areas, and again, thanks to the finance team and the work they're doing there. Uh, same thing here with, again, some of our other smaller programs. Those are all been taken care of. So in the ones that it says remaining to be achieved, those, are we not going to achieve those by the end of the fiscal year? There's a, there's a possibility that some of those will not materialize, but the qualifier to that is that, again, okay. Nancy and her team have materialized it in some, some other fashion. Okay. So, so for example, the, the supplemental reimbursement where we had to, we had to fix the FQHC right. issue. So in a sense, we achieved it, but we had to offset it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So then, and then looking at expenses, you have the detail on the expenses as part of your, your package, but I, again, as you can see, I'm very pleased to, to show here that uh, everything pretty much has been achieved uh, with the exception of uh, our labor optimization supply chain improvements, which will be achieved by the end of the, of the fiscal year. Uh, and as you can see, we've essentially closed the gap in our labor optimization efforts, how we've only got about half a million dollars left, and that will easily be captured. Uh, here in in, uh, in May, and you know we started this. I mean, this this kind of speaks to the fact that a lot of this work was ongoing for some time, and so now we're just you know we're starting to see how that's materializing. So excellent work from the team there. Do you anticipate uh, doing this sort of action plan uh, ongoing, or is this a, a response to or moment of crisis? That we well, I, I want to say that this was in response to the request that was made based on, you know, how things were progressing and what was, you know, being communicated and what was being reflected by the, uh, by the reports. I will say that, you know, this has always been a, you know, uh, our, our internal reporting and how we manage the operation. I mean, that's part of our budget variance so committee. outwardly facing external report. Right. Something that's been 
it's, it's part of your process normally. Completely, and and uh, and I can assure you. I think that it's a great value, so yeah. I, I would just encourage you to probably continue to report um, these initiatives on an ongoing basis because it gives us a sense of. Well, I think your COO report will always right. contain that. The COO report will speak to kind of how we're managing and how we're controlling our expenses, and that's the way I would I would envision us continuing right. to have that dialogue, and we can speak to some of the action items. This was very targeted, where we had some very specific lines, and that we were targeting, you know, or that we're moving with. Uh, moving forward, we're just looking at the budget is has yeah. been finalized, That's will awesome. be finalized, and we will then then look at variances and then taking steps and actions to make That's sure that we force correct immediately. And then I will capture those in our CO report. Great, thank you. Any other questions? We need to make up some time, so give us. Uh, really quick on what's happening in the Alameda kitchen. Did we make the uh, permit on time? Is it going to happen? Do we have the money? So, yes or no? Yes or no? Okay, so, so it's, it's, uh, it's going to happen. So it, it just, again, quick overview. Uh, I will go through this very quickly and I will see as fast I can do that. Um, you'll have the package in there, you have the information. I wanted to give you a sense of what is part no, of the scope. And so you have a, get a sense of what's happening no, in those areas and what's that. driving that. And some pictures there to kind of tell you how that's happening if you're familiar with it. With us, pictures help. Right. So, uh, and, and just in, in a nutshell, we, the project is consistent of we have several make ready projects. Uh, we, you know, and what we call them make ready because we have to relocate certain services to open up the space that's then going to in the future hold the, the kitchen. So, make ready one, make ready two. Uh, these are these projects that moving, moving some support services areas to other areas of the hospital. Once we finish that work then we can move forward and, and start the process for increment one, increment two, which is the bulk and the seismic activity, the seismic work that needs to be done to support that, uh, that effort. In red is what you see is where the kitchen will be moving to, is to the Stevens Wing, and that's the area that we're going to upgrade to make sure that we meet SPC2 criteria requirements. Okay, that's what the kitchen will kind of look like architecturally, and then this is some computer uh, generated renderings that will, you know, just kind of speak to the aesthetics and how that facility will look. This will be a beautiful uh, dining area, uh, tray line kitchen, and some additional windows and stuff that will bring some natural light to the space. And a spare use grind. <laughs> yes, if anyone's seen the current kitchen, uh, this is, <laughs> it's, it's in a hallway that looks upgrade. like it's a, uh, yeah. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. uh, it almost looks like an exit hallway or something. It's uh, weird. So. Um, what we have here, this is just a recap and the cash flow of what this project is going to cost and how we're moving forward with it, and it's part of our capital plan and the cash flow down below by month, what we're anticipating based on the, the progress of the project. So this is the key element. This is what I wanted to just make sure I shared with you all. So make ready one, make ready two. This here provides you some of the detail here where we submitted all of our plans back in May of 2018 for all the different components, all right? So you know, instead of just waiting to submit everything to Oshpa, we submit these things in phases. Number one, I think some, to a certain extent, kind of not to overwhelm them and confuse them, but also to kind of keep things moving uh, through the process. So May 18th we submitted plans, we received comments uh, from them, we're sent, we're sub we submitted our comments back to them uh, by June 11th and we're expecting our, our permit for that make ready by July 2018. This really officially kicks off the project, we're right on target with our SB90 timeline and our SB90 extension commitment. So we will have that permit. Now that's again the kickoff of the project. As we continue, we're going to see future dates for some of the other permits because, again, all of these require different permits on the way down to the uh, final construction uh, permit for the increment one, increment two, which is the full kitchen relocation. 
make ready. Again, we submitted those plans on June 12th, phasing these things uh, through through Washburn and through the process. We expect to receive those back uh, on uh, July 6th, and then we expect the, the permit to be done and completed in August, starting construction in October. So again, make ready one, get those done starting in August, get everybody moved out, start to make ready to in October, get everybody moved out, and then in the beginning of the year, we're looking at then getting into the right uh, the, the, the meat of the project itself, which is increment one and increment two. Okay, any questions? <laughs> Would you keep us uh, informed if a uh, major timeline slips, just so we're kept aware? I, I, I will certainly do so. And that, that is one of the risks, and I want no, to... No, we know. I will put it on, on the record to say that, you know, a lot of this work is contingent on what we find once we open up some of those walls, recognizing that Alameda Hospital went many, many years with a tremendous amount of deferred maintenance, and we're going to find ourselves looking at this. And so, again, what that will impact as it relates to the, the project budget, but also the timeline. So. And the construction market's a hard one right now. Yeah. Cost rising. Too much work. Mm -hmm. People have too much work. Just since we're talking about Alameda, um, and I know it's not part of the kitchen, but how, how's that soil test plan going? So that's something that is, uh, we're, we're obtaining proposals right now. The, the, the district board has established a subcommittee of the, of the board that is looking at uh, this effort, and that committee consists of uh, Dr. Bobby Deutsch and uh, uh, Director Kadiga and myself and several others. And so we've already obtained some proposals from some of our design uh, companies, uh, and uh, the plan is to review those, make a, make a selection, and then we'll be looking at uh, engaging one of those providers to finalize that assessment, that study, and then provide us with a detailed report. Nice. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. We're up for the budget, and this is, uh, you're getting really good at this road show, Mr. Yeah. Finley. Well, you got to get the really uh, condensed version. That was my show. next question. Uh, we're just going to do key variances and things that have changed since the last presentation. That's exactly what we can do. So and, and because it is that's okay with everyone, yeah. yes. it's effectively the same the same budget with, with just a few uh, uh, numerical updates based off of uh, information. So um, cool. so same uh, presentation outline, same set of goals and principles with the two updates uh, for uh, the new EBITDA target as well as the uh, continuous improvement of the overall budget process. Uh, this time reflecting some changes in how we uh, reject salaries both for existing and new employees or new positions. Uh, the budget process and just the moving of the dollars say that we're in the last month, we're now bringing it forward to you for uh, final review and approval, uh, noting that uh, this time there'll be a, a recommendation or a uh, uh, acknowledgement from the committee uh, based on the way that we uh, uh, agendize it, but with an expectation that we'll go to the full board at the end of the month. Uh, we're working on, I'll point out the tune up uh, metric dashboard consistent with the budget and the uh, new uh, opportunities and drivers that will do similar to last year's process, we'll bring them to the committee predominantly and then have the committees have their own dashboards but then refer uh, uh, new or continuing metrics to the system-wide dashboard. So that will be coming forward uh, in the month of uh, July and August. Um, this is the long-range financial plan, so this is where I'll point out a few changes. So you'll note in fiscal uh, forecast 2018, I can see my arrow until it gets on the screen, but uh, the column that says forecast 18, uh, that uh, the numbers for the revenue and expenses are changed to reflect the forecast that you heard from Nancy Cox for the remainder of the fiscal year. So you'll see a 3.5% EBITDA target, which we're hoping to uh, do uh, at least slightly better than, but, but we're trying to provide a more realistic forecast 
of this off new information, so you see it there. Uh, the other changes are uh, uh, down below on the uh, capital expense uh, line, that, um, uh, beginning with line 17, capital expenditures. That number's been reduced to reflect the amount of capital expenses that we expect to have at the end of this year. Um, uh, a reduction, or in the, I actually can't remember, I think it was a slight reduction in the EHS Foundation support line on here because some of the numbers actually support operational expenses that went into our uh, supplemental revenue uh, up, up, up top. So the total number uh, actually was an increase, but the, the, the part that supported capital, uh, that, that is for uh, capitalized projects, is uh, a subset of that is reflected in those. So a bit of a cleanup there. And then the $9 million is all but $1 million of the $10 million of support from Kaiser. That goes to the balance sheet because it has to, the dollars we bring into expenses we mentioned last time, have to coincide with actual uh, uh, expenses that we're not uh, capitalizing. And so the 968 uh, operational uh, expenses related to the projects so the contract negotiations, the legal fees, and all the other stuff uh, that we expect to incur or have incurred in this year will be offset by about a million of the 10 million that won't show up on the uh, expense line, which is also a thing that impacted our uh, uh, EBITDA margin because it could have had that uh, 9 million up there than the uh, uh, EBITDA margin gets better, but it still falls to the bottom line, so uh, you see it there. So that's just uh, reflecting what we uh, uh, have updated the forecast of 18 to look like. Uh, and then 19 follows from there, so no major uh, updates, a few uh, um, uh, changes in dollars to reflect things like 5 million from Kaiser uh, uh, falling all to the bottom line. Uh, we're going to be looking at the uh, epic budget where we had expenses and uh, operational expenses and capital and uh, reviewing, reconsidering that in consultation with our auditors because there's a, notion, uh, uh, a speculation that a lot of what we have put as uh, operational expenses really are and can be and probably should be capitalized. And so as we move those over, our speculation is that those $5 million won't have expenses to offset, so we're bringing it to the bottom line, just like we did with the $9 million, so that's what you see there. That notwithstanding, we, uh, with all the adjustments, uh, uh, we would then take the $5 million of expenses we'd expect there too, so we're still projecting a 4.6 EBITDA margin there. Um, um, and that can be approved upon, but we'll see how that goes after we complete that review. Um, so I'm not I'm not hedging like I did last year. 4.6 is what we're targeting. Um, Chat uh, yeah. <laughs> considering all it's on, you know, we'll, we'll take a bet on the side. Thank that's you. an aggressive goal. So. I appreciate that. Uh, we, we feel that. Um, uh, so uh, the uh, the uh, uh, debt expenditure, expenditures are there, including beginning uh, next year, obviously the seven million dollars in the capital reserve that will support the EHR, and then the other expenses are allocated accordingly. The capital expenditures are reflected in this. Uh, sorry, they come up. Oh, they'll come up somewhere. I'll get to it eventually. But the total of that that uh, 98 is a combination of uh, epic expenses, largely San Leandro rehab, Alameda rehab. Uh, uh, that's predominantly it. There maybe one or two other smaller items, but I think that's pretty much it. And then the foundation support that we expect over the course of this year with the capital campaign, uh, as well as dollars to support. Oh, actually, there are some other things there. So it's like the MRI uh, that will complete uh, this year. Uh, and then there's some dollars there for other uh, uh, IT projects that the foundation is expecting to fundraise for that, as I said in our last uh, uh, update, we won't do unless we raise uh, the money forward. So, so the dollars are there. That foundation support offsets it. Uh, net negative balance is what it is. Uh, it hasn't changed uh, much uh, uh, given uh, the forecast for this year and then for the uh, next five years. Does that mirror what you presented um, in the cats? I don't recall us getting quite that close to the line on your 
her number is stopped at uh, 19. Yes. Oh, that's 20. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes up to 20. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. okay. We're watching that because we're actually you know, we're, we're concerned about it as well. No, uh, got it. But it gets, uh, as no, I said, asymptotically close. Um, <laughs> that word. Uh, <laughs> all right, so volume of drivers didn't change. So I don't, unless there are questions about this, uh, it's the same. Some of the percentages changed because of the forecasted numbers being updated. So the percentages either expanded or contracted based off of what the, uh, how we expect to end this year. But the underlying assumptions and the expected uh, volume uh, as an objective number, uh, actual number, is, uh, are the same. Um, so across all the different business units, and then this just is a reflection of the volume uh, uh, forecast that, that goes along with those assumptions. Uh, so no changes from when you last saw it here. Uh, same on the operational budget details. So this reflects the numbers that you saw on the roll-up of the budget, which is what this is. Um, um, I don't, the, the only thing to point out here is that the total net operating revenue uh, goes uh, based off of the changes from this year to 3.1%, where the operating expense, which you'll see in a second, but it's been <coughs> 2%, so gets us at our target at 4.6 for the end of the year for EBITDA and 3.0 for operating. The other thing I'll point out here, FTEs go up by 90, uh, and you saw our, our note to you about the 90 is not uh, uh, just a reflection of net new, that it is a reflection of changes that we uh, anticipate in the budget related to operational improvements, uh, staffing alignments, uh, and that we're working on the impact uh, element of that. Uh, so we're expecting that about 59 FTEs will be impacted adversely as a result of this budget. Uh, uh, but as we then net it all out from vacant positions and opportunities to uh, uh, people to fill other roles uh, within the system, we're expecting that number in terms of net uh, uh, actual employee impact to be somewhere uh, uh, 20 or less uh, as a total number for the full, uh, for the full budget. So, so a really small, every role is obviously important, but it's a yeah. small percentage of our overall budget. Uh, and so then the assumptions for the revenue are the same as they were before, just updated the numbers, or the percentages again. Uh, all of this is the same, you've all seen. Apologies for exhibiting the uh, uh, But then on the income, exact same thing. Or I'm sorry, expenses. It's like same thing. So not a lot to show here in the interest of time and catching you up. Uh, the trends are the same, uh, and so then I'll I'm just zipping through here. I used to see what the overall uh, trend looked like on the revenue and expense line. So we're staying on the right side of the law, as it were here, uh, and then the full budget for uh, capital. I went through the detail already. You can see the major elements: Alandra, Alameda, uh, the MRI, uh, the EHR, obviously. Uh, we've reduced the routine capital in both uh, facilities, equipment, and IT uh, to reflect uh, a, a lower percentage. Uh, some IT is a spillover from stuff that we're doing this year, so that's a number slightly up from the two million, but we are more budgeting the point than we're at. And with that, uh, that feeds into the long range plan, which we started with, and that's that's my story. So, happy to entertain any questions about any of this you have for us. Any questions? Okay, we don't have an action item on. I have I want Please. Real quick question. So uh, I saw there's a 10% contingency on the Alameda construction project. Is that the normal contingency rate that you are putting in budgets now, capital budgets? On the for the Alameda project? Yeah, it's 10%. Well, it's no. That's that, so. To answer your question, no, that's a little high, and the reason it's that way is because of what I mentioned earlier, I'm not. not Recognizing the current state of the facility and understanding that there's going to be some unforeseen issues, we're trying to make sure yep. that we are good. Okay. 
Okay. Well, we don't have an action item to take a vote, but I think it's uh, we need to just, is there anyone who doesn't agree with the statement saying that the Finance Committee supports the uh, fiscal 2019 budget as read by the Chief Executive? Okay. We look forward to supporting it at full committee. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mr. Fonseca, you have a retrospective. I do. So uh, I will go through this one very quickly, just a couple of slides you've seen in your packet there, but uh, just to give you some highlights on Perma Rehabilitation Inc. Uh, and it's actually uh, also on the agenda as an action item later on as, uh, as we discussed, but I uh, wanted to give you a retrospective of their performance over the last couple of years. Looking at the terms of the agreement, this was a three-year agreement from September 2015 through June uh, of 2018. A firm rehabilitation provides rehab services, PT, OT, and speech therapy services at Park Bridge, South Shore, and our subacute unit in the island. Uh, they, you know, this kind of gives you the details of how their billing structure and how the contract is, is, is uh, developed, and uh, again, how they bill for their services as well. The review of the service, uh, this speaks to the volumes of what they have seen, as we, you know, as you can see, they're relatively flat uh, year over year. Um, Affirmacare, uh, and, and the way, just to give you a sense of what the requirements and the demands are for a skilled nursing facility, every patient receives therapy depending, and, and it varies slightly depending on the payer and those requirements, but every patient receives anywhere from 30 to 75 minutes of therapy every single day on each modality. So that's, that's something that, that happens on a regular basis with every single resident that is there. And this is something that's provided by uh, Affirmacare here. That's what drives those volumes there. So a um, key note here, uh, based on the structure that I presented on the previous slide and how they're billing for services, uh, our payout to them has been a total of 2.497, forecasted out for the remainder of the year through June, uh, on a not to exceed amount that had been uh, originally forecasted in the budget of $3.7 million. Uh, so again, uh, very efficient, very capable, they're a great company to work with. This is, we, we, we then decided to do a quick comparison of well, what if we decided to go ahead and do this ourselves. Uh, and this is just a quick comparison that basically states that uh, we, we, we do have, uh, uh, I think, a great service with this company that makes it their core competency to provide these services. They have all the tools, resources, and mechanisms to keep track of their data. And it shows that it would cost us an approximately $400,000 more a year. Maybe we should have them run the health system. <laughs> I wouldn't go quite that far, but they do good therapy. But it was wise of you to make that, you know, to look into yeah, it and make it a comparison. I think that that's, that's a smart thing to do. Could you say Is a little it, bit more about why there's such a savings? Well, it, it has to do with, uh, it has to do with their, you know, their pay rates, their benefits, you know, and, you know, it essentially comes down to those resources, right? I mean, the largest, the bulk of the cost really comes down to uh, staffing and resources. They're not. They're not part of the Sarah. <laughs> Sorry, no. Among other things. No. Uh, Good point. Uh, is it uh, safe to assume since these facilities are almost always at, at a full capacity that the the number of hours of rehab they're going to do is going to remain relatively static, correct? Year, year over year. So correct. it should be pretty easy to predict what the cost is going to look like. Correct. Okay. So, and then this is just a very quick slide just to kind of demonstrate, you know, so these are some of the key performance indicators as we uh, meet with Affirma uh, Rehabilitation Services on a quarterly basis to look at how they're performing, looking at some of their key indicators. This is just a small subset of those key indicators. What you're seeing here, and just to give you a sense of, of what the numbers mean, the scale, the yellow 
uh, it's hard to see on some of these, but the yellow is looking at the average admin scores. When we're looking at every single admission that goes into the skilled nursing facility, they do an assessment of the patient and all the different modalities. And I broke it down by a few, some of the few or some of the key DRGs or key diagnoses that we're looking at, cardiopulmonary, musculoskeletal, things like that. Um, so the scale that, that they're using there is almost like a rehab scale of the, the FIM score. So this is uh, the functional outcome score. And it's a scale of 10 to 70. 10 being that they come in needing or requiring total assistance, 70 meaning that they're fully independent. So as you can see here, what we're trying to reflect is that um, every single one of these areas, patients are seeing a significant improvement and really getting back to their activities of daily living. So great work. I have a question. Yes, yes please. Um, so I, I understand that um, Richard Espinosa will be rejoining the system next week. Is that correct? Starting on Monday. Um, and so I wonder, prior to his departure or during his, his um, vacation, if he had a chance to, if he's, he's supported this, if he's um, shared any information about the contract. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He and I have been in close contact. And, and even prior to him leaving, we knew that this was a contract that was coming up for renewal. And he is and has been in full support of this activity. Um, Great. And then in fact, I wish question. I could do this at uh, other sites. Well, yes. no, I, and so if Richard supports it, I'll support it. But not that I get to vote. No, no. Um, the it does in your uh, in your in your opinion in your experience it does provide for continuity for the the patients. There's not a lot of transitions or a lot of new um, personnel coming in and out through the contract. Oh no, they've been very stable. Uh, they they I mean again all of those. Uh, therapists uh, have great relationships. I mean, they get to know every single one of the residents. They they understand how, you know, their progress and how they're managing that. And that's why I think we are able to see those great outcomes and those significant improvements in, in uh, functional outcomes. Thanks. So again, the recommendation is, as uh, bottom line, the recommendation is that we continue with the firm rehabilitation. And later on the agenda, we're hoping that uh, we will receive some support to move forward with a new contract. Any questions? Yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Let's go to contracts and we'll take them uh, one by one. Um, <clears throat> obviously, uh, several of them are big and I don't want to rush the process at all. Um, but obviously, I'd like to start with um, questions on Medline from trustees. Is there anything, uh, who's presenting Medline? Uh, I've got Valjeet here. Is there anything uh, outside of the abstract that we need to know? Uh, just a couple of things. I zoomed through the slide. I was going to cover some background on what a medical surgical prime distributor was. So I looked for the group, but that, that was just kind of a key point to talk about the volume and size of the contract as I think the, the, the amount of dollar value. I think that's, that's eyebrow raising. Uh, so, so just a quick description on what the space is. So when we talk about medical surgical distribution, it's, a, it's the industry uh, that consists of several companies that manufacture and distribute basic medical supplies and surgical supplies. Put another way, these are the trucks that back up every morning to the hospital to bring in supplies to do what we do. No, we get it. So, if that's not anything else in terms of that, I don't want to, I don't want to waste more time unless there are any questions. No, if uh, no more questions, I, I, I do. I no, do. please. I have a question. Uh, at, at what stage, you know, when you have a contract at this long, that's this long, um, do you ever go out for, a, I guess this is not this question first, do, do you go out for uh, 
another bid, you know, and competition because this is an extension and I don't see evidence of any kind of bidding. Uh, so you're just staying with the same person, the same company, and how do you know that there aren't others that will do this better? That's a great question. For contracts of this size and complexity, the industry standard is three to five years going for RP. So that is what is recommended as the space evolves quite a bit in terms of that. So though. three to five years, but you're asking for an extension, which seems to me since we've been doing this in 06 to 17, isn't that more than three to five years? Uh, so the extension is for a period of time which allows us to now initiate the RFP process. So, the so you will go out to Correct, bid. that is the That's what I needed to know. So, it's, just, so it's, a it's a commitment to go out to bid. Essentially, yes, this contract expired in September of 2017. And so what we're doing is, again, we're, we're looking to that's something that should have been addressed back in I September say, why didn't of 2017. Uh, but so what we're doing yeah. now is we're saying let's go. Ahead. We want an extension that goes from 20 from September 2017 through January of 2019, basically through the remainder of this year. And what we're asking for is that time frame so we can complete a thorough RFP process, make a selection, and in the event that we end up with a separate or a different vendor, prime vendor that we have time for some transition. And we expect to have that all completed on or before January of 2019. So just so clarify, we we're not currently in contract. Correct. Currently, no. So you have six months to go out for it. <coughs> A process that's already started. And so we're hoping that uh, over the next month or so, we will, we will have that RFP completed. We'll go through the evaluation. And our hope is to bring it back to the board here uh, after recess and you know, continue moving forward in the event that we're having a change, uh, it may we may end up with the same based on the RP, you know, the RP results, or if we make a change, then we also built ourselves some time to uh, have an effective transition. So it just kind of fell through the cracks in, in terms of like even when the other hospitals were added, it just seemed to have there's no documentation, there's nothing in there. With the expiration in 2017 too, it's a gigantic amount. It's a large dollar value, and I think I'd have to steal the thunder from our colleagues who are uh, in compliance. We did also bring in to help us now look into the history behind this OR. I think they're uh, to postulate a time period when, when we're not there. I think there was a limited understanding of a variety of things, uh, both with not just the, the funding availability, so that's always the one thing that we have the money, but there's also the other corresponding pieces that we have the approval to set to spend that money. And I think that's one thing that we saw that there was a limited understanding of uh, based on just looking at the documentation. I can say that, thankfully, for the current controls in place for these items, is why we're able to catch it and why we're able to then bring in our folks in compliance to help do a little bit of a deeper dive of like, what happened back then. Um, I also know that we were able to document some, for lack of a better term, some working documents that uh, know that we prepared some summaries, but they didn't make it to this site. So that's something that we know that our folks want to work on, and they're going to be remedy for sure for this next RP. Thank you. I move this item? Like to move yes, I mean, I think as a general comment, we're, we're being really nice to you all for bringing a $17 million amended contract that should have been done a year ago, but we get it for a lot of things. So thank you very much. Where we could probably talk about exactly. So uh, if everyone is through with their questions, this actually comes up in the next committee. Yes, it yes. Is. We'll uh, entertain a motion to move. Uh, so moved. Second. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carries. Thank you very much. Mr. Fonseca, you're up again for a firma. 
Do we have any, well, let's take a motion to approve this and then we'll discuss it. I move. Second. Okay, any discussion? Anything outside of the abstract that you need to tell us? No, sir. Okay, um, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Motion carries. Dr. Jamaluddin, uh, I'll take a motion to approve um, the East Bay uh, faculty surgeons. Second. Second. Okay. Any discussion? Uh, I, just question I had is: is the increase in this contract and, and basically the services that they're providing is it in keeping with the other contracts relative to oak care, etc., for uh, increase in uh, salary services? Yeah. In, in Was general, I not clear on that? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the residency now or the, East, uh, the UCSF? Uh, the UCSF. Uh, the UCSF trauma. Uh, yes, the answer is yes, but we are uh, uh, integrating the surgical service throughout the system. And uh, we are putting all the profits under Alameda Health Partners. This, this UCSF contract is under Alameda Health Partners. Okay. Yeah. I have a question. Please. Um, it looks like the um, it's an expansion to to increase the services for San Leandro and to add the services at Alameda. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, and Alameda would be ALH services. That's correct. Okay. Uh, um, my question is, with regard to um, the the discussion of San Leandro Hospital and Alameda Hospital services, can you? comment why there's a provision or um, uh, um, that would establish that the balance of coverage provided by community physicians at San Leandro, what that exactly means and, and why that provision is a part of Alameda hospital so, coverage? So we have uh, multiple physicians who take calls and uh, they keep profits for themselves. So that would be just the same group of physicians who would take will uh, take the rules and we'll keep the profits for Alameda Health Partners. I'm, but what, community physicians meaning they're not different from, they're still part of the East Bay Surgical Group. I, I'm just wondering what the, the balance of coverage provided by community <coughs> physicians, what does that actually mean as opposed to non-community I'm trying to just understand that. Is it is it going to be the existing physicians right now in Alameda Hospital? There is uh, there is one physician in San Leandro who's uh, who's taking call, and uh, uh, and the rest of the calls are taken by uh, by UCSF uh, physicians. So uh, so that one physician will will uh, will will uh, will stay on call. Uh, and that's, that's not a UCSF physician. That would be one 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 physician. That's correct. But but that no, physician is a part of this contract. Correct. No, no, okay. it's not well, part of this contract. We're not letting this physician like we're not terminating the contract with that physician. That's, that's is that physician part of Alameda Health Partners? Please, I'll try to clarify. Okay. So for San Leandro, with regards to the statement, the balance of coverage to be provided by community physicians, what I was attempting to articulate 
explain is that currently call coverage at San Leandro for surgery is provided by a panel of numerous physicians and each of those physicians are under separate contracts. So we have a total number of physicians. So what I meant was here, currently San Leandro at UCSF provides 120 days maximum per year of the coverage. The balance of those days for the rest of the calendar year are provided by the aggregate number of the non-UCSF panelists. So that is what I was attempting to explain there. Well, and, and I asked the question because I understand that that at the other side at Alameda Hospital, the community physician contract was terminated to in order to enter in, as part of the um, agreement to the, the move to enter into this contract with um, UCSF. So I was just trying to get clarification about the um, the physicians who would be providing services at each site and also I guess if you want to answer the question or if Dr. Jamaldine does or Del Vecchio why the physicians at San Leandro will why San Leandro Hospital retains community non-UCSF um, independent contractors and Alameda Hospital is going directly and entirely to UCSF for surgery. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the I, I understand I understand you are asking why why we have a difference in the in the, in the in these two physicians. Uh, th this was a decision uh, made. Uh, that I would like to discuss in closed session if possible. Can I request to discuss this in closed session? Okay. Sure, I understand. Thank you. Okay, any other questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Thank you very much. Ms. Katz. Um, first of all, I'll take a motion to approve California Medical Billing Services for $1.3 million. So okay. okay. We have a first from Trustee Chiquan and a second from Trustee DeVries. And um, any discussion? Didn't we just approve a million dollar contract for billing to add a fourth month statement a month ago? And that was only $18,000. It was an add-on. Oh, it was one point eight. This is actually um, California Medical Billing Services. is like a temp agency, and we only use their services when they're needed. They backfill when we have people on medical leave of absence, or they do special projects. Ira, uh, I was going to ask you about the 30-day um, written notice. Is that something that is negotiated when you do that? Is that a part of a temporary contract? Is that a part of the, your uh, your philosophy? How, how is that? speaking, we try to go for between 30 and 90 days. We will often ask the business owner for their particular um, preferences because sometimes if they think that they might be wanting to change relatively in the future with not too much lead time, they'll want to reduce that. If we know that the consequences, because this is usually mutual, the other side would also give us notice. So if we think that it's a high risk that we wouldn't be able to adjust very quickly if they noticed us, we like to increase that. In this case, I don't know the particulars which actually informed the decision on the 30. I would be honest that usually if it's a renewal such as this, we will carry over that language unless somebody like the business owner explicitly says we'd like to change that. So the 180 days with USF was because it would be much more difficult to replace exactly. those individuals. Yeah, we can okay. only think about the consequences if they gave right. us notice and we have 30 days. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wrong. Thank okay. you. Okay, any other questions? 
All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Thank you very much. Dr. Jamaluddin, back to you on the East Bay Foundation for Graduate Medical Education. So this is a contract that renew our uh, uh, residency coverage here at uh, Anila, uh, at the Highland, and uh, it is related to the surgical services. So uh, this has been a long uh, relationship for Highland to the residency program. We're just increasing one intern uh, in this contract. They have asked for housing, which we did not honor this year because of our budgetary restriction. Uh, but uh, they have been uh, providing uh, you know, the surgical service, supporting our surgical services. We have also interest in expanding the residency program in our community hospital, so we are looking at that as future strategy. Okay. Any questions? I'll take a motion to approve. Second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Abstentions? Thank you very much. I don't see uh, Mr. Babakanian anywhere to discuss uh, the Highlands software contract. Uh, we'll see this here, but if you do... do okay, I'll take a motion to approve it. Any second? Second. Okay, any discussion? Yeah, I know. Okay, uh, then we'll wait for someone to answer it. Uh, oh, we can try. Is this amount of money you, you know, we talked about keeping track of how much our the EPIC program was going was going to cost. So, mm -hmm. so I have two questions. One was this dollar amount in that original thing that you presented in terms of the the anticipation of the cost was this was this contract in that this amount? This is one of their contracts. Yes. Okay. So if 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 at the end of this process we're going to see all of these additional kinds of things that uh, I just want us to be clear and, and I understand we're going to discover stuff so I'm not being critical sure. I just think ultimately one ought to know how much this process costs mm -hmm. so that we can bow down to it and praise it and make certain that that we use or it discuss it with the bankruptcy judge right <laughs> or discuss it with the bankruptcy judge but uh, yeah. this was this was one of the uh, it was in the contracts in, in Okay. Any other questions? Okay. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Any abstentions? Perfect. Well, we got through our agenda. I'm going to just take a minute, as usual, when we uh, have a budget. I like to do a little recap of uh, the budget process. So I just wanted to take a few minutes to cap these two things. Um, as we finish up the budget season, and I'm very proud of the achievements of this committee over the past year, we requested a marketing analysis confirming that we're losing market share, mostly to Kaiser, based on 2016 data. Thanks to Ashwari and her team for bringing that to us. Uh, we look forward to updated information when 2017 information is available. We requested the preparation and the first rolling forecast, which provided the first forward-looking tool we've ever had to help gauge health system performance. We kept asking hard questions on why we missed last year's budget and why we've missed our budget targets every single month this, figure, this fiscal year, save one, including a sustaining an operational loss in January. We requested that management create an action plan to return AHS to agreed profitability, which is starting to affect results positively. Thank you very much for your efforts on that. 
uh, and we'll continue to look for supplemental revenues to save this year that need to be continually vigilant on operating a health system in a prudent manner. As trustees, we're the last bulwark defending the health system meant to defend the vulnerable, and we are bound to hold management accountable in creating and maintaining a sustainable health system for all. This is my last meeting as Chair of Finance, and tomorrow will be my last day as trustee of Alameda Health System. I have spent 10 years of my life working to help this health system achieve its promise to the vulnerable of Alameda County. It has been an honor to do so. To my fellow trustees, who I count as friends and whom I individually adore, we need to continue to ask tough questions and develop the strength to say no. We can start by emulating Alameda County's example for caring for the vulnerable of this county by actually having a financial, the financial strength and stability to perform our mission. I want to thank the doctors and nurses, especially Dr. Jamaluddin, and the CAOs of our hospitals. You are the true caregivers and soldiers in the war in defending our vulnerable populations. Your work is extraordinary. And I also want to thank the finance department who holds <coughs> us uh, accountable and says that whether we're making our targets or not making our targets. Uh, I've not given up on the Alameda Health System. I've got a bank to help manage, and I need to channel my efforts to help you in other perhaps more productive ways, and you can bet that I will. Thank you so much. God bless you, and God bless the Alameda Health System. And I'll take a motion to close the meeting. So moved. Second. Second. Thank you very much. Thank you. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for your service. Sorry, it's been very nice. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been an honor. Thank you. I'm sorry, thanks. Yeah. Anyway, this year. And we have audit. Five minute break. I apologize for stealing once again ten minutes of your time. Thank <laughs> you. We stole it. You did. Yeah, we, we, we still aim. The show was on vacation for a month. I did. Thank <laughs> you.